0: Have you ever been in one of those team-building games where you were asked to imagine that you were in a dangerous scenario and that you had just moments to select a few things, a few tools and resources that would help you and your team survive? And so someone might have said, imagine that you are in a small aircraft that crashes into the side of a mountain in the middle of nowhere, You get out of the plane, you just have a few moments before the plane is gonna catch fire and you're given a long list of possible things that you could use. You can only choose, say, five of them. Uh, Things like a box of matches, a box of tissues, a map, water purification tablets, a compass, a flare gun, an ax, a box of chocolates, and so on which five things do you choose? The things you decide will determine whether you will survive or not. We're in a series right now on the book of Colossians, and the Apostle Paul is thankful that the followers of Jesus in Colossae are faithful to Jesus. But he's also concerned that they might get shipwrecked in their faith. He's concerned about their spiritual survival and well-being for their life with God. And so in Colossians 2, two to four, he writes these words. My goal is they, the followers of Christ in Colossae, may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. May the Spirit of God speak to us through this, his inspired word today. And so the Apostle Paul is wanting the people at Colossae, and he would want us to experience not only spiritual survival, but spiritual well-being. He doesn't want us to get sidetracked and deceived by fine-sounding arguments, verse 3. What is he referring to? One of the concerns that Paul has for the followers of Jesus in Colossae is that they are being tempted, they are being deceived into thinking that in order to be truly accepted by God, they need to become culturally Jewish. They need to adopt the religion of the Jewish people, namely Judaism. Now, there were many people in Paul's first century Roman Empire world who were attracted to the lifestyle of the Jews. Everyone in the Roman Empire had to bow down, and offer sacrifices to the gods and to worship Caesar. But about a hundred years before the Apostle Paul's time, the Roman authorities discovered that the Jewish people would rather die than worship other gods. Now, the Romans wanted people to pledge allegiance to them, the empire, but they were also highly practical, pragmatic people. And so when they realized the Jews would rather die than worship the gods of Rome, the Romans cut a deal with the Jews. They said, listen, you don't need to worship our gods. You don't even need to worship Caesar as long as you will agree to pray for Caesar and Rome. And the Jews were like, yeah, we'd be happy to do that. Our God tells us to pray for our leaders and and we want to be governed. Well, we'll do that. And so in Rome... You had all of these processions and festivals where there was music and dancing and people would make sacrifices to the gods. They would worship Caesar. But the Jews did not show up for these festivals, these processions, because they had an agreement with Rome that they did not need to worship the gods. Now, the fact that they didn't show up for these festivals infuriated some of their neighbors. But other neighbors respected them for their stand. In fact, some Gentiles began to think, maybe all the gods of Rome aren't really gods at all. Maybe they're just demons in disguise. And these Gentiles would approach the Jews and ask them, tell us about your God. What what is your God like? And they became known in scripture as the God-fearers. Some of them began to follow the God of the Jews. Some of them stopped showing up for the festivals to make sacrifices to the gods and to worship Caesar. And their neighbors said, hey, why aren't you coming to the festivals? Why aren't you making the sacrifices to the gods? You're going to get us in trouble because you're not doing these things. And these Gentiles would say, but but we're now part of the family of Abraham. We worship the God of the Jews. And the neighbors would say, but, but wait a minute, you're not biologically Jewish. And, and then the Jews would say to these Gentile god fearers if you really want to know God, if you really want to be approved by God, you need to become culturally Jewish, you need to get circumcised, you need to obey certain dietary restrictions like no eating pork. And the Gentiles thought, well, we want to be approved by God. And if we do these things, if we get circumcised, if we stop eating pork and the like, people might think we're Jewish and we too will get a free pass from needing to worship the gods and Caesar. And so there's a lot of pressure on the Gentiles, including those that are following Jesus, to become culturally Jewish. And so Paul says in verse 11, if you know Jesus, you have been circumcised in the only way that really matters. So you don't need to be circumcised. And he says in the text in verses 16 and 17, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that something like circumcision, which involves the uh, cutting of a part of the body, I won't get into too much detail here, uh, was a symbol of a person's desire to be cut in their heart so that Their heart would be set aside for God. The dietary regulations, like no eating pork, symbolized a person's desire to be inwardly pure. Then the Apostle Paul speaks about shadows, and this is a bit abstract, but stay with me. Depending on the angle of the sun, sometimes you will see the shadow of a person before you actually see the person themselves. And so shadow comes before you see the person, but once the person is in the room, you don't need the shadow anymore because the reality to which the shadow points is with you. Paul is saying circumcision and dietary regulations were shadows pointing to a desire, a need that people had to be made pure. But those shadows pointed to a reality that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now that Jesus Christ is here, we don't need the shadows of circumcision or dietary regulations anymore. What does this mean for us? Most of us here are probably not thinking about becoming culturally Jewish or um, you know, having certain special regulations to be accepted by God insofar as our food choices are concerned. Some of us were raised in religious communities that made us feel, maybe this was not explicitly stated, but we were made to feel that unless we tithed, unless we served a lot, unless we were involved in all kinds of of service or had a particular kind of lifestyle, we wouldn't be fully approved by God. Now that might not have been stated explicitly, but it was implicit. And Paul is saying, look, tithing, serving, all those things may be good, but you don't need to do those things insofar as your acceptance with God is concerned because you've been made acceptable by Christ. Some of us were raised to think that in order to truly connect with God, we needed to have some kind of special experience, some kind of dream or extra revelation. And so listen to what former pastor and author Sky Jathani says. We don't need a new and upgraded way to God, a new way to pray, a secret new code discovered in the Bible, a new teacher with a life-changing insight, a new worship style or new interpretation of current events that explains what God is really doing. All you need is Christ. Some of us have felt that unless we had a certain educational pedigree, a certain kind of career, a certain level of success in a realm of our lives— we weren't, or we wouldn't be good enough as human beings. We wouldn't be worthy. And insofar as God's acceptance and approval of you is concerned, none of these things really matter. A guy named Tulian Chavigian was feeling that God was disappointed with him. And as he read the book of Colossians and meditated on this book, he came to the conclusion, aided by the Spirit, I believe, that God was saying... Jesus plus nothing equals everything insofar as our approval with God is concerned. Jesus plus nothing equals everything insofar as our approval with God is concerned. And then in verse eight, the apostle Paul says, see to it, That no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. When the Apostle Paul warns us against deceptive philosophy, he probably does not have in mind the philosophies of the Greeks like Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Aristotle. Scholars don't know if he has a particular philosophical school in mind, but we do know that the ancients in Paul's day were consumed with how the gods of the stars controlled the fate of everything for good or for evil. And so we know that the emperor Nero, for example, was deathly afraid of his own mother's ghost. And so he had consulted astrologers, to help him escape his mother's ghost. What Paul is saying is we do not need to be afraid of spiritual forces of evil because Christ on the cross has defeated the powers of evil. In the passage that Marissa read earlier from Colossians 1, we read that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, we read that Jesus, through his death on the cross, though it looked like he was being defeated, was in fact destroying the powers of evil. We read, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." When Jesus Christ was dying on a cross, it looked like he was dying a humiliating, degrading death. But paradoxically, he was actually triumphing over all the powers of evil in the universe. So Paul is saying, we don't need to be afraid of them. Maybe some of us say, knock on wood. Nothing wrong with wanting to express a desire for someone to have good luck. But we don't need to literally knock on wood or anything else in order to have, quote, good luck. The expression knock on wood apparently comes from the belief of the ancients that trees were filled with the good and evil spirits of beings, and that by knocking on trees, by knocking on wood, we could invoke the good spirits to protect us and cause the bad spirits to to banish Some people say fingers crossed is a way to express good luck to a person. Apparently this this expression comes from the belief that if you cross your fingers, you invoke the power of the cross. You don't need to invoke the power of the cross because the power of the cross has already been invoked for you on Good Friday. It's been released. Uh, Abraham, maybe you can um, confirm this since you love the office, right? So apparently Michael Scott has said, you may not feel like you are th- thanks, Carlos. You may not feel like you are superstitious, but maybe you are a little stitious. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> if you know Jesus, you do not need to be superstitious. You don't need to be a little stitious either. <laughs> because insofar as the spiritual powers are concerned, Christ plus nothing equals everything. He has defeated the powers. And then finally, to look at verse eight one more time, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Paul may have in mind, as I mentioned, the belief that the gods of the stars controlled everything. But he also may have in mind, based on the context, the belief that that people felt that in order to really access God, you needed to engage in extreme, self-denying spiritual disciplines. And Paul is saying here, such extreme acts are not necessary. They lack any value in restraining sensual desires and appetites, and they can be harmful. Sadly, many followers of Jesus Christ have not followed God's counsel through Paul here. So, for example, from the second century, we have texts that tell us that certain Christians bound themselves by chains to rocks and ate only grass. Not even during Lent do you need to eat just grass. <laughs> if you've read church history, you may be familiar with a guy named Simon Stylites, a monk who for decades lived on top of a pole in order to try to get closer to God. He was under the sun, under the rain. People fed him as he was atop the pole. I guess they had some kind of stick with which to feed him. You don't need to sit on a 30-foot pole to get closer to God. That door has been opened to you by Christ. You are as close as you can be if you know Christ. As I was getting ready for this message, I came across a story about someone who approached a their pastor. That pastor wasn't me. It wasn't Pastor Abraham. But this person said to their pastor, 10 years ago, I sensed the Holy Spirit leading me toward Jesus. I resisted. And I've just recently committed my life to Jesus. And I have calculated that I owe God 10 years worth of tithes. Yes. (laughs) He had a reaction in his heart. I owe God something here. And so he said, I'm going to give a year's worth of salary to God. And uh, I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but that person didn't owe God a year's worth of salary. He owed God nothing because all of his debts, insofar as God was concerned, was paid for by Christ on the cross. As Daryl Johnson mentioned on Good Friday, quoting the text in 13 and 14, Paul writes... He that is Christ forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In the Apostle Paul's first century world, debts were written on handwritten notes, on IOUs. And Paul is saying that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, all those handwritten IOUs, those Certificates of debt were nailed to the cross, canceled, forgiven, you owe God nothing. Your sins have been wiped out. That's the good news of the gospel. I know someone whose uh, child graduated from a Christian college in Southern California called Azusa Pacific University. And so when their child was graduating, he went down to Southern California with his wife to attend the graduation ceremony he said that he was also part of another gathering of about 50 people that included former students and new faculty members, new professors. And at this ceremony, or this separate sort of uh, gathering, the president of Azusa Pacific stood up, John Wallace, and he introduced three students, three graduating students that were about to spend the next three years of their life serving the poorest of the poor in India. They were expecting to be commissioned and prayed for, and they were, and then the president paused and said, look, I have some unexpected news here, some breaking news. Someone here in this group, and he turned to the students and said, is so moved by what you are doing that this person has made, just made, an anonymous donation to our school in your name. And the president turned to the first student and said, Your student debt of $105,000 has been completely forgiven. student starts crying, (laughs) turns to the next student and says, Your debt of $70,000 has been completely forgiven. And then turns to the third student and says, Your debt of $130,000 has been completely forgiven. These students were not expecting this. Uh, They felt ambushed by grace. They were completely blown away that someone they didn't even know would pay off all of their student debts. Everyone in the room was in tears. That is great, it's it's a true story, amazing. But God has done something even greater for us in Jesus Christ. He has, through his own death on the cross in Christ, canceled all of our debts, wiped them out. We owe God nothing. Insofar as God is concerned, we are in the clear. Do we engage in spiritual practices? We can, as a way to deepen our friendship with Jesus Christ, but we do not need to engage in spiritual practices as a way to pay off a debt that we owe to God because that debt has been paid in full. Do we engage in things like volunteering, as Abe was talking about earlier, giving, living in a certain way. Yes, those are, those, are, those are good things. Generous living, holy living. But we don't do that to gain God's approval because that has already been taken care of by Christ's death on the cross on our behalf. We engage in those things out of a deep sense of gratitude that we have been ambushed by Grace. So the Apostle Paul is saying that insofar as our survival is concerned, the the survival of our spiritual life is concerned, insofar as our life with God is concerned, we do not need to be circumcised. We do not need to become culturally Jewish because Christ has circumcised us in the only way that really matters. He has circumcised our hearts. Paul is saying, insofar as our spiritual survival is concerned, we don't need to knock on wood. We don't need to cross our fingers because Christ has defeated all the powers of darkness. And finally, insofar as our life with God is concerned, we don't need to engage in extreme spiritual disciplines because Jesus Christ has blown open the door to God. All we need to do is embrace what God has already done for us in Christ and to remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray together. Perhaps in our private lives, perhaps in a worship service like this, Sometimes we will confess our obvious sins, we'll turn from them, repent from them. Perhaps in this moment, some of us need to repent to turn from our good works or at least relying on our good works as a means of earning our approval before God because we don't need to do that. That has already been achieved for us through Christ's life and death and resurrection. So perhaps some of us would want to pray, Lord, forgive me for relying on myself and my good works to earn your approval and acceptance when I already have it in Christ. And perhaps on the heels of that, you would want to pray, thank you for forgiving me God, through your Son, Christ, and thank you for setting me free. Thank you for setting me free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.